I'm Dave Rubin, this is The Rubin Report, and welcome to another Friday Roundtable Extravaganza. Joining me today is political commentator and proud Floridian John Cardillo and president of the Brownstone Institute, Jeffrey Tucker. Gentlemen, welcome back to The Rubin Report. Good to be here. Good to be here. I am glad to have you both. If only there was anything to talk about this week. If only <laughs> anything had happened in the world worth talking about and... Uh, Yes, we're gonna talk Trump and mostly media reaction to Trump. And then we're gonna do a little bit on some economic stuff as well. Uh, but let's just dive right in. We don't have to recap uh, the entire indictment and all of that. Let's go into some of the media reaction to Trump being indicted and the media reaction to this, yes, Soros funded, it's true, DA out of New York City, Alvin Bragg. Here is Andrea Mitchell on the televised mental institution known as MSNBC calling Trump racist because he doesn't like Al Alvin Bragg. And it may or may not be coincidental, but both the DA and the judge are people of color or uh, the judge, as Judge Kira was, was ethnically Hispanic, I believe, Latino. And of course, the DA is black. So they have certainly become targets of his in any case and their families. Guys, I am so tired of this racializing of everything. And even as Andrea Mitchell saying it, you can feel that she doesn't even believe it as she's choking no. it out. She's not even sure if the other guy's Hispanic. You know, when we covered this earlier in the week, the way they were racializing this whole thing, it's like we also played the State of the Union address that Trump gave a couple of years ago where he talked about lowest all-time black and Latino unemployment and everybody, all the Democrats sat their arms crossed as if uh, they didn't care about that sort of thing. Who cares? Thing. Yeah. Right, so Jeffrey, uh, I'm starting to think that uh, this is projection more than anything else. What do you think? Uh, yeah, very well could be there. You know, Donald Trump has a huge and hardcore of uh, black American support. I, w I was at a, a Republican uh, gathering in Queens, New York. I don't know if you know about Queens, New York. I am a Long Islander, as as was John at one time. I grew, uh, up, I grew up in Queens. Yeah. yeah I grew up in Queens. Oh, well, it was my first foray into Queens. <laughs> and uh, it's got a certain uh, certain thing going, a certain attitude, you know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, funny accents and so on. Anyway, about 20% uh, or 30% of the people there were actually from Harlem and very hardcore uh, supporters of Trump and, and, and patriotic and enthusiastic and, you know, the race issue is not even a thing anymore, like if it ever was in, in current day Republican politics. The only people who are making it a... A thing are, are are Trump's enemies. So, and it's extremely divisive and very nasty, and really insufferable. I mean, if you want, if you want to find people who are fed up with it and want to get away from all this identity politics, you're going to find them in in the Republican Party, not not in uh, certainly not in the mainstream media or the Democratic uh, National Committee activists. Right, and you know, Trump doubled black male support last election. It's not yeah. a huge amount. I think it was something like 4% to 8%, but that when you double anything and then you extrapolate that over years, things can change pretty quickly. John, this is just like standard 101 media stuff. They can't stop, right? As if Trump wouldn't have fought the guy if he was white, right? Like that's the stupidest part. <laughs> Well, right, right. Like, what defendant? You know, I, I began my career with the NYPD. Uh, um, 
Uh, Jeff might not know that, but I mean, I've never had a defendant of any color. I love the district attorney <laughs> prosecuting them and the judge arraigning them. Look, this is so preposterous and asinine. I mean, you go back in Trump's history. Before he was a politician, he was partying with 50 Cent, P. Diddy, like yeah. every You go back far enough, he probably played a set with the OJs. I mean, this guy, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's never been an issue with Donald Trump. No. The guy was being celebrated by Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton back in the 80s and 90s. So it's a preposterous narrative. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, Mar-a-Lago was the first club in Palm right. Beach to allow Jewish people in. I mean, the idea that they're still going with this, but oh, they yes. cannot stop. You guys are gonna be completely shocked right now because every now and again, something sane happens, or at least roughly sane happens on CNN. And Van Jones, who is sometimes sane, sometimes completely insane, he, I think he sort of said something sane here related to all, all of this. I mean, I'm throwing this up to the channel. Does this hurt the other cases uh, right now being pursued? I, I, I worry, I mean, look, if this is the only pebble that gets thrown at Donald Trump, uh, it's a very small pebble. If it's the first pebble in an avalanche of other indictments that strike more to the heart of, I think, people's core concern about Donald Trump, which is his threat to democracy. So if this is the first pebble, the next one is about the election interference in Georgia. The next one is about the, 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 the coup, the insurrection, January 6th. Uh, the next one's about him hoarding these documents and, and why. Then it, it begins to fit. But if this is the only pebble, it's not much of a pebble. And I do think it could... It could uh, uh, the, the backlash against this pebble might cow other people who might otherwise have been courageous enough to step forward. I was say two observations. First, to, to Alyssa's point, you know, today, this, this morning we saw he had an away game in a very unfriendly stadium, right? Tonight, he's got a home game in front of a home crowd who are riled up. It is, it's like a homecoming. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be jubilant. I should qualify my own remarks. You know, sometimes uh, Van Jones says something sane, but he also is saying insane things at the same time. The core concern that most people have is Donald Trump's threat to democracy. I mean, I think half the country right now thinks the other side is a oh. threat to democracy. Let's oh, just yeah. put that out there. Uh, but my point on the sanity side was that if this is the only pebble, meaning that he's arguing in a way that this isn't that much. John, what do you think of the, the case itself right now? These 34 charges, it sounds like most of them should have been misdemeanors. They've been boosted to felonies. You know, we got Stormy Daniels, now owes Trump money. The whole right. thing is so confusing. <laughs> Well, well, let me tell you what the biggest problem is with this case. First of all, the case is a big nothing, right? I, I don't see how this ever survives uh, an appeal on the statute of limitations issue alone. But, mm -hmm. but here's how preposterous the 34 counts are. They're, they've charged 34 counts on the same payout because it was done in installments. So when I worked in a robbery interdiction unit, this is equivalent to me arresting someone for armed robbery. They walk into a bodega in Queens, Jeff, and they stick a gun in the uh, in the clerk's face and they get a hundred bucks out of the register. But instead of me charging one count of robbery in the first degree, because the clerk counted out 10 $10 bills for the hundred bucks, <laughs> I charged 10 counts of robbery. The DA would laugh at me and knock it down to one count for a hundred bucks. So that alone is preposterous. Yeah. And I'll go yeah. as far as to say unprecedented, but I do think Georgia and the feds are gonna come with subsequent indictments that might have a little bit more meat. This New York case to me is frivolous nonsense. Now, a New York City judge is never gonna dismiss this. I should say it's 98% chance they won't dismiss it. Anything could happen, but I don't see how this could ever survive on an appeal. Mm. Jeffrey, let me, let me ask you like a blue sky question here, which is my argument has been whether these charges were as ridiculous as John is laying out or whether there was more meat to them. The bigger issue here 
is that once we start charging ex-presidents with crimes like this, especially things that they did having nothing to do with their time in office, right. the thin pool that we already have of people willing to take the jump and become president will become even thinner. Oh, and then yeah. out of that yeah. pool, the people that become president will never wanna leave power because they know they're gonna end up in jail. I mean, that, mm -hmm. is, that is the definition basically mm. of a banana republic. Well, not to mention a complete distortion of the court system and of justice system, which you know we, we don't have that much trust in at all. But uh, the complete weaponization of the courts and politicization of the courts is not gonna be good for mm, any cause, justice, fairness, equality, or even Western civilization itself. It's just, this is anarcho-tyranny, and the courts are, are, you know, can't become part of that or else we've lost all hope. Let me just quickly tell you about an op-ed that appeared in the New York Times, our favorite newspaper. Uh, <laughs> former today. New York, former newspaper, the, former newspaper. Yeah, the New York Times, the New York Times, which, you know, tells us, tells us, they always tell you where, where things are headed. So there's an article this morning that starts off by saying, uh, well, they finally got Trump. And it goes on to say, well, it's true that the charges are pretty thin and there's not much going on here. However, uh, this is brilliant that it's happening. It's what she called karma justice. Now, karma <laughs> justice is not justice in the old fashioned sense. It's just, we hate this guy, let's get him. That's called karma justice. So that's her whole article is like, we, we hate, basically, we hate this guy. So how, whatever we can do to, to get rid of him is, uh, is justified. That's what the karma would dictate. So we're going we're gonna to turn the justice system in this country into just purely a discernment of what karma, who we like and who we don't like, prosecute the people we don't like and and uh, set free the people we do. I mean, then we're tending in that direction. It's 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 egregious. And it's a follow up for from everything that's happened over over three years in, in many ways. But but it's nonetheless uh, truly tragic and especially alarming that you see the New York Times coming to the defense of what they call karma justice, which is not justice at all. John, speaking of karma justice, as a former NYPD guy, you know, what always used to happen with the mafia guys would be that, you know, they'd have all these massive real crimes, right? And then they'd catch them on some sort of nonsensical yeah. crime. That's what always would take people out. In a weird way, that does feel like that could happen here, even though you're saying that the charges are trumped up, probably all gets thrown out. But doesn't it feel a little bit like that? Like, oh, he must have done all of these horrible karmic things, but we're gonna get him on this nonsensical thing. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, and, and to our previous point, you know, all the wise guys just loved Rudy Giuliani. They, you know, they showered him with praise when he was prosecuting. Now, look, it, it, it's so true. This is this is exactly what what this is. And to Jeff's point about the uh, the downfall of Western society, I agree with him. I don't think that's hyperbole. I think the the United States has been a beacon because of our stable government, because of our system of justice and the fact that there were multiple things baked in that kept it fair. And this is eradicating all that. If you don't have the United States, you have nothing. You have nothing. And that's what's what's so egregious about this. I have to agree with the use of that word. But uh, I mean, karmic justice. I mean, Lady Lady Justice is, is sobbing and resigning mm. today that, that we are now legitimizing the New York Times, the newspaper of record, right? Yep. It was when we were kids for years. But yep. let me digress. That's another problem. Trump as a boomer still fundamentally believes in yes. these institutions. Yes. So he could say fake news, fake news, fake news, but then Maggie Haberman gets a four hour audience and he calls her his therapist because mm -hmm. he still fundamentally believes the New York Times is somewhat like it was when he was a kid, when he was a young adult and he would lick his thumb and turn the page, right? So that's another problem in that he 
legitimized these outlets to, to a large degree. John, and so what, now you've got you've got them biting him in the ass, quite frankly, with these preposterous stories. And, and I, I think that we need we need judges to stand up and prosecutors from both sides of the aisle, not that it'll ever happen, and just throw a flag and blow a whistle, right? Call an audible here, call a timeout, because they're they're running down a path that's going to be uh, irreparable. They're never going to be able to pull this back. They're never going to be able to put this horse back in the barn if they let this go too far. Well, I, uh -oh. I hate to tell you that's not going to happen, Johnny. But Jeffrey, right. what do you think about what do you think about that idea that basically Trump and the media are a match made in hell together? Meaning mm. that as much as he rails against them, he gets them clicks, he gets them views, he goes to Maggie Haberman at the same time while he's calling it the failing New York Times, and that in a weird way that makes him part of the machine now because the machine is so built around response to him. That's a funny critique. Uh, the problem with Trump is that he has too much trust in the system. <laughs> <laughs> but he does. Uh, but it's in not a weird crazy. Way. But it's not crazy, right? I mean, uh, uh, big media never thrived more uh, than it than it exactly it did, except in, in, in Trump's uh, Trump's presidency. And they're they're aware of this. Um, you know, there's a there's a theory floating around out there. And I don't think it's entirely crazy what they're trying to do is first of all, get clicks and get more views and everything. And nobody's better at that for them than Donald Trump. But uh, get them the nomination and they think they can uh, be, beat them, uh, you know, based on all the reading of the polls and their experiences in, in, um, in 2018, 2020 and 2022. They think uh, Trump is somebody they can beat and they're terrified of somebody like DeSantis, who uh, you know is potentially a real winner. So I mean, that's sort of a an interesting point of view, but it's it's actually widely shared. In fact, the Wall Street Journal floated uh, that story the other day that this is ultimately this this circus is a great benefit to uh, uh, to all the people who prevailed over the last three years, and and uh, and ultimately they're they're trying to use Trump, and worse than that, Trump likes to be used. Mm -hmm. so, John, what do you think about that? Because yeah. it's that does ring right to me. It's like. Where can Trump get new voters? I get that this might energize a certain amount right. of people, but we're still, you know, we're still a year and a half away from an election. But but let's say, okay, the base is now energized. Where are the new people where it's fairly obvious that a guy like DeSantis can bring in tons of new people? Look what's going on here in Florida and the amount of liberals who now vote for a Republican on top of the fact that guys like Joe Rogan have said they would vote for DeSantis, did not vote for Trump. Elon Musk said he would vote for DeSantis, yeah. did not vote for Trump, et cetera. So there, there is some meat to this. It's not just like some crazy theory. Yeah, Yeah. right. I mean, take, take, uh, take um, you know, uh, some of those people out of the equation. You and I have had this conversation offline, Dave. I, I don't think Trump has any new voters to convert, right? I think he's, he's losing ground with moderates, independents, and NPAs. And one of the biggest problems for America, I'm not gonna say for Trump, for America, is that the only Trump supporters, the most vehement supporters, and his consultants who are out there, you know, going nuts on Twitter and other social media, they're messaging for a primary. These charges, they're fundraising on these charges for a primary. The problem with that, though, is those things repel independents, moderates, mm -hmm. and non-party affiliateds who just want to get back to some sense of normalcy after COVID right. and after impeachments and after indictments. The other thing, the other intangible here that nobody's factoring, and I can tell you from the law enforcement side, there were times I felt bad for nonviolent defendants because a criminal trial is about the most emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically draining thing a human being can endure.
Hmm. Now take a 76 year old human being who's lived a charmed life, who's never had real trouble. Ah, civil suits, big deal. You give it to your lawyer, it goes away. You pay a couple of bucks or maybe you win. Now you add a couple of other indictments. We know in New York, they're not even gonna have their next appearance until December 4th, I think. Yeah, insane. Right? It's insane. So now you've got Georgia and the feds, and I think Alvin Bragg gave them both cover to indict. I don't care if you're a marathon runner, a former Navy SEAL who was also a Delta operator. You are not gonna stand up to those things and not be physically drained, mentally drained, emotionally drained. I don't see how you can face three of these cases in three different jurisdictions, still run a presidential campaign, still do rallies. It would be, it would be just an anomalous act of nature for that to happen. And I think mm. people are underestimating what this is gonna do to the guy in that sense, financially, he's got millions upon millions, and Trump isn't that liquid. If he was, he wouldn't have had to pay out in installments, right? He's never hidden the fact that he has assets, but he's not super liquid. And so people are really underestimating that. And I, I, I do agree. I think the Democrats want him because they know his people will primary message. They'll win the primary, right? If, if there's not if, two more cases, I think that's all in doubt. But if, these, if it's only this one New York case and it goes away, and then I think he is going to get obliterated. It's gonna be a landslide in the general because he'll have lost all of those centrist voters that are forgotten about in the primary. That's right. Let's, let's hear Trump himself on the charges. Even people that aren't big fans have said it. They said, this is not the right thing to do. It's an insult to our country as the world is already laughing at us for so many other reasons like our open borders our incompetent withdrawal from Afghanistan, where we left behind American citizens, $85 billion worth of the best military equipment in the world, lost 13 magnificent young lives and far too many to mention that are so badly hurt with the loss of arms and legs and facial obliteration. The most embarrassing time in our country's history, in my opinion, they want to settle the case, but I want no part of that. You know, Jeffrey, to, to John's point there, you know, he basically read the entire speech, right? He didn't have his crazy off the cuff moments. The energy seemed a little low and maybe that really is part of it. They feel that they can just kind of grind him down long enough, flying to New York that day and back, give the speech, 76 years old, let's roll this for a year and a half. And, and the magic of what Trump is that I think probably, uh, you know, attracted half of the country, at least at one time to him, would, would sort of dwindle. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I didn't think the speech was so bad. What I, what I was intrigued by most with that soliloquy is his, his march uh, through his own victimization, right? So he goes through the Russia hoax and the Ukraine thing. And then, uh, uh, you know, he marched ahead to the uh, to the ballot controversies around the uh, and then and then the FBI raid of his headquarters and went through everything. There was a glaring hole in his narrative, and it concerned everything that happened between March tenth. Uh, and 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 his and the election, mm -hmm. which were the COVID lockdowns, which he as subject and then warp speed subjects, he does not want to talk about it. Everybody knows that Mar-a-Lago never bring this up, and yet that was the most momentous momentous attack on 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 the Western conception of rights and liberties. Uh, probably since the Magna Carta, and you've, look, you've consider the scale. I mean, three years ago, 
this weekend we weren't allowed to go to church. That was, I'm sorry, uh, Trump greenlighted that. So now he wants us to forget about it. I mean, he's forgotten about it. Therefore, it doesn't matter. You know, the country was in shambles by the time November arrived, mm -hmm. and he wanted to just pretend it, it didn't even matter. So that's what stood out to me in that speech was not so much what he said, but what he didn't say. So to me, uh, he's, he's, he's part of this whole plot to memory hole this uh, astonishing catastrophe and pretend like he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. John, bring us home on this one. I suspect us in Florida are not gonna let this thing be memory hold because it, because it was done yeah. right here. It's, it's why I moved here and, and you were here far longer than I was. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm with Jeffrey on this one. I, I'll, I'll, I'll make it a little more succinct. Trump's 2016 message was optimistic, right? It was, it was, look at my life, I'm wealthy, I'm famous. You can live like me. Let's make America great again. Let's restore the American dream. You can live like me. Trump's 2023, 24 message is, oh my God, my life is in shambles. Give me money, help me pay my legal bills. Look what they're doing to me. Woe is me, I'm the victim. That's not a winning optimistic message by any stretch of the imagination. And it's not just Florida. I mean, I don't think people anywhere are gonna let this be memory old. New York, I think he's in trouble in the New York primary because people died in nursing homes and he wasn't out there condemning Cuomo. I think what's damning for Trump is, is, a, is the clip he did with Candace Owens, where when Candace Owens, people forgot about this. But I, I think this is gonna be replayed during the primary and the general when Candace asked him why he didn't fire Fauci. And he said, well, he's been there a long time. You don't just fire a guy like that, dude. You ran on drain the swamp. And now you're saying that if people have been part of the swamp for too long, you can't fire them. I mean, there is so much oppo out there on him uh, with his COVID response. You could only use that. And he's incredibly vulnerable. So yeah, I don't think this is gonna be memory hold by his primary challengers and certainly not by uh, Democrats and their PACs in the general. Yeah, and before we move on to, to both your points, I mean, look, he was the one that, that so proudly did warp speed and yet his yeah. base, the people that love him the most are the most anti-COVID vaccine people that there are. Right. I didn't get vaccinated. I include myself in that group to that point, except he's the one that sped up the thing to make sure that everybody got it and then was still telling people even months ago when he was on stage with Bill O'Reilly, what was that, six months ago? Still telling people to get it. So, all right, let, let's leave it there. Uh, the other big story, which barely got reported on, is that the U.S. dollar is basically in free fall and we are watching a complete realignment of the world monetary policy. Uh, here is Will Kane from Fox News uh, talking a bit about the realignment that we're seeing related to the dollar right now. Vladimir Putin announced this week that Russia will begin using the Chinese yuan uh, to, for international payments instead of the dollar. Saudi Arabia is also in talks with Beijing to do the same thing. Speaking of Saudi Arabia, meanwhile, they are in talks uh, with Iran as well to consider an economic alliance with China and Russia. And they can even be joining the BRIC countries, which is an acronym for these countries here, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. These countries all have emerging economies. Jeffrey, this is your department as an economist. Um, this is not good. It's almost as if endlessly printing money based on nothing here in the United States was not only gonna have problems for our wallets, but actually how countries treat us and who they align with. 
Uh, yeah, I would say that's that's right. Uh, the big problem for the U.S. in terms of the, the, the dollar as the international reserve currency concerns also its trade policies from 2018 to the present. I mean, the U.S. Pr proved itself to be an unreliable trading partner with, with random dictates. Oh, now we're going to add 5% taxes on your mm -hmm. goods. Now there's 10%. Now there's 15%. Now there's 25%. So what's the basis for it? Oh, it's the trade deficit. Wait, that's bad economics. What are you doing? Uh, we've, we've had more or less, you know, consistently lower tariffs in global trade since uh, the end of World War II, and now we're just changing all the rules. So that's what doomed it. And then the attack on Russia, the sanctions on Russia and the confiscation of assets of a dollar denominated was uh, a way of saying, if you use the dollar, we can we can, we can mm -hmm. lock your accounts, we can steal from. That was a, a t terrible decision. So it was both... Both Trump's trade policies and then the Biden administration's sanction on Russia just made it inevitable. But now we look around the world and, my God, you know, uh, Iran, uh, Brazil, uh, China, Saudi Arabia, Russia, you know, everybody's turning against it. So, you know, how long is this going to take before the dollar is unseated as the international reserve currency? I think it's going to be a while. But uh, what matters here is the trajectory. And it, it doesn't look good. And as you implied... We've got other problems with the dollar here at home, uh, namely its its domestic value in terms of goods and services. The PCE uh, uh, came out, the data came out the other day. It's the Fed's favorite inflation measure. And the services side of it showed the largest increase in 12 months, mm -hmm. which suggests that the Federal Reserve's uh, interest rate policies of forever raising rates are not, not actually conquering inflation. That the uh, $6.5 trillion that they printed over two years after this COVID thing began, you know, has to become endemic. $5.5 trillion of that went into the banks, which they used to buy long-term bonds that turned out to be devalued once the Federal Reserve's policy came along, and that's destabilized the financial and banking system, even while real median wages for Americans are going dramatically down and credit card debt is going up, and it's costing ever more to service that. So, you know, we've got a candle burning both uh, both ends and also getting thinner, you know, at the same time. It really is a disaster for U.S. Uh, prosperity and influence around the world. And, and to really just dumb that down. I mean, everyone can see this happening right in front of them. Inflation's yeah. going up, things cost more, your money is worth less. And then with the interest rates grow going up now, you can see people can't get loans. So now the housing market is freezing. Like, and, and it's happening across the entire country. Uh, John, you're an international relations guy. I mean, seeing these alliances kind of come together, this is not particularly surprising, right? Especially when you throw in what's going on in Ukraine and some new alliances happening over there. This is this is kind of 101 when you have inept U.S. leadership, huh? Yeah, I mean, it is. Look, Jeff summed it up, uh, Jeffrey summed it up perfectly and eloquently uh, and, and really comprehensively. I pretty much agree with every word he said, you know, and, and so Dave, you know what I'm doing these days, right? private equity guy, and I do a lot of imports of things from the Balkans region, et cetera. They still want to deal with the U.S. dollar. They still do see the U.S. dollar as their best bet. But I will tell you something else that's starting to concern many of these countries, and China and Russia are laughing at us, places like uh, India are laughing at us, and uh, is, is, this, uh, is this policy now to put DEI and ESG over profits, right? Mm -hmm. So when you combine everything Jeffrey said, and then you look at our banks who are debanking profitable businesses. You and I have had this conversation ad nauseum, debanking profitable businesses yep. because of the 
type of industry they're in or, or their ESG score, or they're not diverse enough. And then you've got corporations like Budweiser and now Jack Daniels buying into the trans, you know, mafia's uh, thuggery and, and are starting to lose market share. Their orders are being canceled by massive liquor distributors, but it's not just liquor, it's, it's across the board. No, you'd have to be kind of crazy to not see the U.S. economy, the U.S. economy and the U.S. dollar with a skeptical eye because things we're doing here are just inexplicable. And this isn't isn't uh, my opinion, even even though it's anecdotal. This is what I'm hearing from the entities uh, over in Europe from whom we buy you know, massive quantities of goods. They're concerned. Right. And people go, well, wait a minute. Could this ESG thing really be doing any of this in the diversity, equity and inclusion and all that? And the answer is yes. Silicon yeah. Valley Bank only had a chief risk officer for about three months, then did all these crazy loans, and they had a massive diversity, equity, and inclusion department. Right. So you're basically just bringing in people that are not qualified because of their genitals and skin color, and you're not taking care of the departments that actually make sure you do the proper things as a bank. I wanna show you guys one more video. This is former uh, president of South Africa talking about how the new Russia-China alliance basically renders the US dollar irrelevant. Many countries are saying, in order to avoid this consequence of the imposition of sanctions by the United States on the basis that you are using their currency, in order to avoid the consequences of sanctions that arise from that, let's walk away from the dollar. And hence, the, there's a global discussion taking place about that, and it's, some of it is bilateral. Uh, when Russia trades with China, there's no re reason why they must trade, use dollars to exchange, none. Yeah. I saw that even India is saying the same thing. Jeffrey, call me cynical here, but I think this is what the Democrats want. I can't say this is what Biden wants because I don't think he's in charge nor really understands what's going on actually. But I think that the, the Democrats who are not proud of America did not want America to ever be a superpower, certainly not the last remaining superpower. I, th I think they're happy that the dollar will not be the currency of the world and that our place in the world will just sort of sink to, well, probably lower than, <laughs> lower than any of us would like. Let's put it that way. Several years ago, a movie came out called The Joker. Uh, it's good to rewatch. I think pretty much uh, the DNC and the Democrats generally sort of embody everything about the Joker, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a purely uh, destructionist uh, agenda, uh, getting thrilled about unraveling everything uh, America has been and all of its institutions and make a mockery of our patriotic songs, uh, make a mo mockery of, of our freedom and our rights and so certainly the Constitution. And along with that is tearing down the free enterprise system. Uh, that Bud Light ad last week was just, yeah, just beyond belief. The corporate America is now, you know, completely corrupt. I don't know if you've read Jennifer Say's book. She's a former, uh, she was in line to be the CEO of Levi's and they canceled her during uh, COVID because she wanted her kids to be able to go to school. And she oh, right, 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 right. I didn't read the book, but I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, yeah and the book is absolutely chilling, just uh, what, what's happened to the to the culture of, of, of the, the higher ends of, of, of American corporate culture is entirely woke, uh, alienated from, from the American public. I mean, you have 15 years of zero interest rates uh, led, you know, a, a generation or two 
uh, to get these high-end degrees from woke universities and then not have real jobs in corporate America except for the CSG and DEI stuff. It has led to a kind of a, a, an intellectual cancer that spread throughout the entire corporate uh, American sector. And it stuck up on me, Dave. I didn't see it. I think you saw it coming before I did. I was a little bit naive about this. But You forget, but, I, I was a lefty. I was in the belly of the beast, I, you know? I was, I, I think you and I did an interview and I was warning you about, you know, Trump's authoritarian ways. And you're like, yeah, but there's <laughs> a, other bad things brewing here too. And I said, yeah, maybe, you know, I didn't, I didn't quite see it or understand it, but wow, is it just, it's just packs a punch and it's, and it's grim. And I, you know, it's weird. It's, at some point you wonder, how do you turn this, how do you turn this around? I don't want to be hopeless about it. But at the very least, we need to talk about it and be aware of it if we're going to do anything about it. Um, I'm actually uh, super thrilled at uh, trends in labor markets these days <laughs> because, <laughs> because the Zoom the Zoom class uh, corporate elite is all the, the sort of losing their job. I mean, uh, Elon Musk sort of yeah. set the tone for everything, you know. And now you're seeing it hit, it, you know, sector after sector. It's, it's actually great. Meanwhile, all these jobs are opening up in hospitality and retail. You imagine the ESG DEI uh, elite corporate set having to face customers for the first time <laughs> in their life. That 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 would be an interesting thing. Imagine having to be responsible to your shareholders or build a good product or do something that's worthy of putting on the market. Uh, John, you know, this sort of reminds me when, when I was listening to the South African, former South African president, when you see these new alliances show up, we're both friends with uh, former ambassador to Germany, Rick Grinnell, and obviously yeah. he's big in Trump world and, and he was also acting uh, intelligence secretary. One of the things that he would always say publicly and privately is that how proud uh, other countries were that America was doing the right thing under the Trump administration. Yeah. And when I see now Russia and China kind of getting in bed together and Saudi Arabia is coming around and now Iran's coming, everyone's kind of, I'm pretty much thinking every other country on earth is like, damn, I wish America was back, but not with this guy. We got to move on. Yeah. 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 Not with, not with, not with this guy at all. Not with this guy at all. And and uh, is it just me or every time I see that South African guy, it looks like the makeup department aged Don Cheadle. And then I realize he's a real guy. But but no, look. Uh, well, I, there I, goes our YouTube channel. <laughs> but, but all kidding aside, the uh, the um, when, when I travel, I travel to Europe quite often to the Balkans and I hear this. And, you know, Rick is a good friend. We do some business together these days. They tell me I've I've had people over in the Balkans, various nations say, what the hell is going on in your country? What are these yeah. Democrats doing? Are they trying to destroy you from within? So to your point, Dave, yeah, I think John Kerry would love nothing more than to go to Paris and, and to go to the EU and sit before that council and say, hey, give me a pat on the head. Didn't I do good? Mm -hmm. We've taken the dollar out. We've given China the, uh, the prominent position. Didn't I finally do good? Come on, pat me on the back and invite me to dinner party. So absolutely, I think the Democrats would love nothing more than to weaken us. Guys, I thank you for your time. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm a little tight today, so we have to wrap it up there, but uh, we will we'll definitely do this again with the two of you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my full interview with my Congresswoman. It was the first time I ever met her. Maria Salazar is up across platforms right now. Uh, no post-game show, because I got to get out of here, uh, but we will be back on Monday. Have a great uh, weekend, great Easter. Happy Passover, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks, Dave. Great to see you, Dave. Great to see you, John. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast.
And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubenreport.locals.com.